0: Today is a wonderful day. Obviously, every time we gather together like this, we are celebrating the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, but obviously we're doing it in an extra special way today. Uh, all four gospel accounts in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all give an account of Jesus' life and his ministry, but they all talk about his death and they all reach the point where they mention that Jesus rose again that's like the punchline the punchline for all of those uh, gospel accounts in the bible he's alive but it's a punchline but not a joke and uh, we're going to look at one of those uh, passages in just a moment in the book of John that outrageous claim that Jesus is alive is what underpins the whole christian faith so without the resurrection there's no christian faith without it Jesus was just another misguided revolutionary leader. Without the resurrection, Jesus was just another martyr dying for a lost cause, a dead hero. But with the resurrection is the proof that what Jesus did by dying on the cross is effective for forgiving our sins, that we really can know the one true God, that we really can begin a new life now, today, which stretches all the way into eternity. A brand new start that lasts forever. So that's why people get baptized. They're showing that what Jesus did, what happened to Jesus in dying on the cross and being raised in a new life uh, three days later, what happened there counts for me. And so Jesus died. It's as if now I've died. My old life has gone down and uh, that one's finished And now I'm totally made clean. Now my sin has been completely wiped out of the equation. And not only that, but I'm risen. Just as Christ rose to new life, uh, so I have a new life in him. Um, A brand new start that lasts for eternity. So the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. So anyone in any age, in any nation, can become a disciple of the real, risen, and reigning Lord Jesus. Let's turn... Uh, to the book of John. If you have a Bible with you, it might be you'd like to turn to the book of John and chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you would like to follow in one, I see a few hands already before I even need to mention it. Um, But raise a hand and one will be brought to you. Keep it up and it will be seen. There's no shame. You're allowed to put it up. (laughs) Um, What's fascinating about the resurrection of Jesus is that nobody... Including all the disciples, were really expecting it. So a few people went to the tomb on the night, uh, on the morning. Um, I don't know quite what they were expecting because there was a, they knew there'd be a big stone in the way. They didn't go there with their party poppers and their silly hats, kind of poised ready as the, the, the stone rolled back by itself and Jesus comes kind of stumbling out and everyone just goes, surprise, you're alive. What? What's going on? Now it's, uh, it wasn't that way around at all. None of the disciples were expecting it. And we see that here, particularly in the case of Thomas. So John chapter 20, and we're going to read a few verses from verse 24. Here we go. Now. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In this passage, uh, we're going to look at three things. There are three things for us to consider. Some of those things are people, so that sounds a little bit harsh, but three Three things we're going to give our attention to in those few verses that we've just looked at. And the first thing, or the first person that we encounter, is a doubting disciple. Thomas was a disciple, but he he doubted. Now at this point, Jesus had appeared. So it's a little bit cheeky speaking on this passage, because actually, Easter Sunday, if you like, was a week earlier. And we're kind of like fast forward the clock to a week later with this encounter with Thomas. So the rest of the 11 disciples at this point, they've uh, they've met the risen Lord Jesus. He's come out of the tomb and he's revealed himself to them. For some reason, Thomas wasn't there. But you can imagine, that group of disciples now, whilst they might not have believed it initially to start with, they, they took a while to see it for themselves. Now, they're going to be buzzing, aren't they? So, we've seen the Lord, they would be saying. But Thomas, he's not. For some reason, he wasn't there on that Easter Sunday. And so he says this, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. He is sceptical. I feel for Thomas a little bit. I wonder if it's like one of those situations where... You've arrived late to a party. And there's stylishly late on the one hand, where you walk in and everybody turns their head and you're the center of attention. Or there's just plain old-fashioned late. And you come into the room and the party's already started and maybe the party's already peaked. And so everyone eventually people realize you're there. And they say, where were you? You've missed all the fun. And, oh, well, I turned up, but really the, the actions happen now and I've kind of missed it. If you identify with that, I think for certain Thomas would identify with that. Everyone's totally buzzing about what has happened, about what they have seen, about this encounter with the risen Jesus and Thomas missed out. He wasn't there. So he's skeptical and he wants first hand experience. Now, we can wrongly think. But in the ancient world, people were not very rational. Actually, they were quite gullible, and they were ready to believe anything. So if he told them there was a pink monkey with purple spots, they'd go, oh, brilliant, that's fantastic, um, without necessarily seeing said monkey for themselves. Um, if indeed they have seen a monkey before. Who knows? It's not in the notes. Let's move on. Um So perhaps people in the ancient world, they were always, they weren't very sophisticated. They were ready to believe anything. Well, that certainly wasn't the case for Thomas. You couldn't accuse Thomas of being gullible. In fact, he sounds a lot like a a 21st century postmodern kind of skeptic guy. Maybe he'd say that he'd like to believe that Jesus is alive. Really, he, he would. He would like to believe it. He just can't quite bring himself to believe it. Because he's not seen it for himself. So he wants some first hand experience and he wants it to be personal as well. So not just believing on the basis of what other people have said that they've seen. You know, perhaps he's observed their excitements, but he can't feel the same excitements on second hand info. It's like someone enthusiastically recounting an amazing experience that they've had. I don't know what it might be. A holiday perhaps. Have you been to, I don't know, shout out for me, somewhere exotic. Skegness, Skegness. have you been to Skegness? (laughs) Because if you haven't, you have so missed out. (laughs) I was thinking kind of the Seychelles, but I'll go with Skegness for now. Have you, have you been to Skegness? Uh, no. Were were you there when this, we we went to this amazing place, Have have you seen it? No. Oh, it was brilliant. Oh, you should have seen it. Oh, are you planning to go? Oh, well, well, maybe. Are you happy that they had an amazing time in Skegness? Yeah, that's fantastic for them. Do you feel as excited hearing them recount their experiences of Skegness? You're glad that it was true for them. They've had a wonderful time. But actually, the more and more they go on about the wonders and the glories of Skegness, actually, you begin to get a little bit irritated Because you weren't there, and in the next week or so, you have no opportunity to go there for yourself. So, thank I'm I'm very grateful. I'm glad that you've experienced the wonders of Skegness, but now that you're going on about it, I'm a little bit peeved. Would you just be quiet so we can move on to something else? That's how it can go when when someone recounts their amazing experience. Did you watch the game? No. Oh, but do you remember when he did this amazing header? Well, no, I, I wasn't there. Oh, did you, did you see the highlights? No. Um, all right, because it was the best goal. Yeah, fantastic. Do you see where Thomas might be coming from? Feeling just perhaps a little bit peeved. In effect, though, Thomas is always, always uh, also saying that he doubts that his friends are truly sane or that they're really honest. We've seen the Lord, they cry, but Thomas doesn't believe them. Unless, unless I see, I will not believe. He's adamant. This is, this is definite. He's, it appears as though he's saying, I, I refuse to believe unless I'm satisfied in all of these ways. You can infuse to your heart's content. You can jump up and down. You can raise your hands. Doesn't affect me. I can't believe it because I've not seen it for myself. And, uh, yeah, maybe there are people here today and you can identify with Thomas in that sense. There are people who are saying in effect that they've seen the Lord. There are people singing. I've, I've seen him. I'm alive. I'm fully alive in him. He's alive. And there's people there are people sharing their story. This is how Jesus has revealed himself to me. It's difficult to get excited about that if you've not seen him for yourself. And so actually, in the midst of a Sunday morning meeting like this, you can just feel a bit... I'm not sure this is for me. And actually, if I'm perfectly honest, while these people around me seem very happy and glad to be here, do you know what? Give me the cream egg and I can go. (laughs) Because it just starts to get a little bit grating. Well, if you... Feel in some way like that. You might be able to identify with Thomas in this experience here. This book is written for you. This book, written by John, is an invitation to consider the evidence for yourself. I'm just going to mention f- four, possibly five things. They all begin with E. Note takers will be happy. Here we go. This is what, the, as the uh, the Gospel of John kind of gets to the conclusion, gets to the climax, he's alive. Here's a few things for us to consider. The execution of Jesus. Did Jesus really, really die on the cross? Or did he just kind of fake it in some weird way? No, he really died on the cross. See in chapter 19, verse uh, 34, uh, we see there that one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. That doesn't happen if somebody is still alive. You have to be dead for that process of blood and water to be separating to happen. It was therefore pretty concretely established. A professional squad of Roman executioners who were unfortunately very well practiced in crucifying people were sure. He's already dead. We don't need to break his legs. He has gone. So did Jesus really die? Yeah, his execution was real. The empty tomb. What about the empty tomb? All the different groups seem to agree on this point. The tomb was empty the disciples went to the tomb and they discovered that it was empty the roman soldiers who were supposed to be guarding the tomb ran away uh, when the angel came and they knew the the uh, the stone was rolled back and the jewish authorities agreed too yet yeah, the the tomb is empty empty the question is then well how is that explained how is the empty tomb explained well perhaps The disciples went there early morning and perhaps they beat up the professional, well-trained and totally disciplined and ruthless soldiers who were guarding it. Perhaps they managed to do that. Well, did they really? Would they have had the motivation to do that? And even if they had done that, what they have done with Jesus' body, taken it outside and excitedly claimed that he was actually risen from the dead, does that really wash? Does it wash with something else? The emergence of the church. Because some of those same disciples would go on to preach about Jesus, to share that Jesus is indeed alive, and they themselves would be persecuted and killed for doing that. So if they'd made it up, where would they discover the motivation? Where would they... How would they manage to be excited about the fact that they were just pretending? And when the going got tough and the Roman authorities started killing Christians, would they go to their deaths for a lie, for a lost cause, for something they just tried to dream up themselves? I don't think so. So we've got the execution, the empty tomb, the emergence of the church. We've got eyewitness accounts here. Mary saw him. The disciples saw him. Jesus revealed himself to more than one person at the same time. It's difficult for that to be a hallucination. In the book of 1 Corinthians and in chapter 15, Paul says that actually there's a group of 500 plus who saw Jesus after his death and resurrection at the same time. How do 500 people have the same hallucination it's, it can't just be wishful thinking they ate with jesus they talked with jesus they touched him not a hallucination not wishful thinking and these records here are early they're early records they weren't written hundreds of years after the events they were written within living memory of jesus death and resurrection so A lot of evidence that's worth considering. If, like Thomas, you might feel like a doubting disciple, what else do we encounter in this passage here? Well, we encounter a doubting disciple. We encounter then also a risen Redeemer. The Lord Jesus comes and stands among them. It's great to consider this question. How does the risen Redeemer, the Lord Jesus... Respond to the doubting disciple, because that's what Thomas is. The modern phrase would be that Thomas is a late adopter. He takes some time to come round to change. That phrase, late adopter, is often used to do with technology. And so there's the person who sees the new product that has just been launched on the market, they go remortgage their home because they've seen the wonders of this new touchscreen something or other, and they think I, I can see all the benefits of having this amazing piece of technology. I'm going to purchase it. I I can talk about it endlessly at you and uh, talk about all its benefits, all of the ways in which it's going to revolutionise my life. And I've purchased it for myself. There's others amongst us. Oh yes, it's true, who take a little bit longer to come round. To the newfangled thing. We are, uh, wearing his badge on his shirt here, uh, the late adopter. We take just that little bit more time to respond and adapt to change. There's this new thing. But we take a bit of time just to suss it out for ourselves. We're not immediately blown away by it. But we can be persuaded in the course of time. That's kind of where... Uh, Thomas is at it can be like that in terms of coming to faith so for some people it's crash bang wallop wow I see it all do you know what he did die on the cross he is alive I'm gonna live give my life to him I'm gonna get baptized and all of that happens in about five seconds an enthusiastic and kind of an immediate response for others of us again it it takes time Kind of receiving new information, as it were. And I'm just going to check this out for myself. If I'm honest, I'm not totally sure yet. But for some of us, we came to faith in Jesus in that way. Maybe it, take a, maybe it took a little while. And that again, it describes Thomas a bit. Well, how does Jesus respond to the person who takes a bit of time to respond, to, to, to process change? Well, Jesus meets Thomas exactly where he's at. It happens like this. Jesus knows that Thomas needs time and opportunity to see things for himself. Jesus is gracious. And so in this passage that we've just looked at, Jesus appears. He appears again. Notice how he appears on the same day of the week. That he appeared last time to the disciples. The disciples are saying, We saw, we've seen him, we've seen him. They saw him, as it were, on Easter Sunday. Now, it's the next week. A week later, it says, in verse 26. It's the same day of the week. It's the same house, we're told, as well. The disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The same disciples are present, the same doors were locked. And the same risen Jesus comes and stands among them and says the same thing and does the same thing as he said a week earlier to the disciples before. Peace be with you. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And again, they see his scars. They're the same wounds, the same evidence, the same truth. Jesus is not rushing on, leaving Thomas be- behind. He knows that Thomas needs the opportunity to see and hear the same things, to prove that it really is him, that he really isn't, is not alive. So Jesus is gracious. Jesus doesn't ignore Thomas. Jesus doesn't get annoyed with Thomas. Jesus doesn't leave Thomas behind, cast him off, forget about him. Well, he refuses to believe He's out of the picture. He's out of the running. He's ruled himself out. He's disqualified himself. There's a lot of important stuff to do right now. There's no time for slackers. There's no time for people who, who are, are slow. No, Jesus knows that real disciples will sometimes have real doubts. And it takes time. Jesus is patient. That said, Jesus doesn't congratulate Thomas for his doubting attitude. Instead, he says, stop doubting and believe. Or a more accurate way of saying it, uh, according to the original language, would be, do not disbelieve, but believe. They're almost the same word. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. And it's important that we understand what that means. Sometimes, even today, disciples of Jesus can think that believing is about ignoring our doubts or ignoring difficult facts. And sometimes the best advice that a well-meaning Christian has is, Oh, just have faith. Just believe. It's almost like another way of saying, Oh, just relax. Don't worry about whether it's true or not. Don't worry about facts, as it were. Just kind of go with your gut feeling on it. Ignore your doubts and niggles. Just be a little bit more gullible. In other words, put your faith in Jesus, and be prepared to kiss your brains goodbye. Um, blind faith. And so just believe. Just go with the flow. And uh, you know, sometimes people give that as a reason. Sometimes, I, some scandal takes place uh, in current affairs, and someone says, "Well, I did it in good faith," which kind of means. I know it wasn't really a go- goer, but I thought, well, I've got good intentions. Well, just have good intentions. Don't don't worry about whether something's true or ultimately important or not. Just just go with the flow. Come on, relax, chill out. Is that what Jesus is asking us to do? Stop believing. Hang on a minute. No, that's not how it says. Stop doubting. Just believe. Just have some faith. Come on. Uh, well, I don't think it's what he's he's saying. He's not inviting Thomas or us in that fact to have blind faith. Christians are not called to be spiritual lemmings, just content to jump off the next cliff. Um, no, stop doubting and believe is more like saying, stop doubting, start accepting the evidence. Give your attention to the evidence, as it were. Because, again, with Thomas, is he saying, I, I can't believe, or is he saying, Do you know what? I won't. I won't believe. Is it can't believe or won't believe? He's drifting really into the latter category. Unless I see, unless this happens and this and this and this, I will not believe is in effect what Thomas is saying. Now, Jesus graciously comes and meets him where he's at. But he's in danger of just being stubborn and digging his heels in. I won't believe it until I see Jesus myself. Then I'll credit him with my faith. Then and only then will I trust him. But he's yet to prove himself to me. And sometimes even disciples of Jesus now can live as if God is always somehow on probation. Always on trial. We're waiting to see if God will be trustworthy this time. And when that's the case, perhaps we need to hear the same words. Stop doubting and believe. In other words, draw the right conclusion. God, be, God could be saying to us today, look, you know me from the word here and from your own experience in life. You've known me up until this point. Haven't I shown myself to you before now? Haven't I shown myself to be good? Haven't I shown myself to be faithful and sovereign and reliable? and wise yeah it's not time to oh, just ignore difficulties ignore doubts ignore questions, ignore things you might feel uncertain about it's not time for that but neither is it time just to dig heels in and say I just don't want things to change I I need you to do exactly this 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 and this and this often when we're facing change and uncertainty like the disciples at this point, we can be—we can give ourselves over to doubts. And even in the midst of uncertainty, Jesus could be saying to us today, actually stop doubting and believe. Yeah, you've got questions, you've got uncertainties. Things are changing. This is different. But don't just, for the sake of it, decide, I'm going to dig my heels in right now. I'm I'm not going to go with that. I, I've i been following Jesus thus far, but unless he proves himself to me again, well, hang on, just hold yourself back for a moment. Think, actually look at all of the ways. Look at the evidence. Draw the right conclusion. In your life as of today, how has God demonstrated his wonderful faithfulness, his goodness, his sovereignty, his grace, his love, his compassion, and his direction of your life? How has he done that up until this point? Well, when we see, when we remind ourselves of the evidence that's already here, and already here, we strengthen ourselves again. To say, yeah, you know, I can believe God in the midst of circumstances that are changing, in the midst, in the midst of things that are uncertain. And for us as a church, this year, a year of uncertainties. What exactly does the future hold? What what's the pattern of things to come? We've experienced change. We've experienced heartache. Still experiencing it. How do we respond? Well, wonderfully. We've got a Savior who responds graciously to us. A doubting disciple? We can sometimes have our doubts. Let's choose not, though, to dig our heels in. Yeah, we want to hear God. Yeah, we want to bring our questions to him. Let's have faith that he meets us where we are. And we can trust him for the future. Third thing, briefly. We encounter here in these verses a brilliant blessing. Verse 29, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It goes on to say, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, Thomas clearly was blessed. He met the risen Jesus. But John, in recounting this particular episode, he's particularly aware that throughout the rest of history, the vast, vast majority of Jesus' disciples would not physically stand before him like Thomas did. They would not see him with their own eyes. They would not have the opportunity to touch his hands and his side where the spear had been. For us, for us, faith doesn 't come by seeing in Romans ten and verse seventeen we 're reminded in actual fact that faith comes from hearing faith comes from hearing, not seeing so so John knew that we would be in a situation where we 'd not have the same opportunity as Thomas and therefore he's saying look this this great blessing is available to us nevertheless you know Thomas wanted that first-hand experience I've seen him and touched him for myself we do not have the same opportunity however Thomas also wanted to have that personal encounter not just to be told second-hand information and we do have that opportunity. That's why I wonder that Jesus is saying this, this blessing. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And by believing what happens, we may have life in his name. In other words, there is the opportunity to personally know Jesus. This isn't the case of just reading words on a page. And, oh, it's, it's as if. As we read it, it's as if. Jesus kind of comes to life. He's, he's portrayed so vividly there. It's it's as if he's alive. No, it's it's not as if he's alive and steps off the page. It's behind the page and in front of the page, above the page and around the page. As we read what's on the page, the risen Lord Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm available. I'm right here with blessing. These things are written that you may believe in me, the son of God, and that by believing in me, you might have life in my name. So we have, you know, whoever we are, we have a life right now. But wouldn't it be better to have life in his name? Peter writing a a letter in, in one Peter arrives at a similar point in one Peter one and verse eight. He's writing to disciples who've not seen Jesus. And he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. If you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul, you haven't seen, you haven't touched in the same way that I was able to do, Peter might write. But actually by believing, you have received a joy that even can't be quite expressed. Maybe John right here in writing this book is trying to work, write something that, that it can't quite be expressed perhaps the, the way it exactly wants. But by believing you may have life in his name. By believing we actually receive a, a glorious and inexpressible joy. A wonderful and brilliant blessing. So as a doubting disciple, Wonderfully, we encounter in this passage a risen Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, not only for those first disciples, but for us too, an absolutely brilliant blessing.